How to talk to rabid Trump haters, the Ten Commandments of Propaganda, and you'll never guess how long James Clapper has had national security clearance. Plus, we deconstruct the propaganda of CNN's media analysis show, Reliable Sources. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Brad? I'm good. I'm recovering from all the treason accusations, the traitor accusations, and just looking to see what they have for us next. Against us, personally? Well, our I last mean, I'm sure was a little rough. probably a few people, yeah. <laughs> Poor Ed was screaming his head off that we were taking the side of the enemy. I, I wanted to make, you know, I don't make or draw comics, but I thought it would be a funny comic to have Rand Paul uh, on the ground, surrounded by an angry mob that's kicking and stomping him. And the little caption is Rand Paul from the ground as he's getting beaten is shouting, I think it's good that we don't go to war with Russia. And then all the people <laughs> who are stomping on him are saying, traitor, treason. Yeah. And the caption could be, you know, how to, what to do to a tyrant. Yeah. And a tyrant. <laughs> you got to a tyrant also. Get the tyrant. Well, I've been uh, thinking about how if Russia really is, I was listening to a podcast, I think 21st Century Wire saying things about Russia doing very well economically and really getting out from under the yoke of what Yeltsin and Clinton and stuff did to them. And Putin does what he says. He brought the debt down. He's husbanding the currency, although they had to devalue because of the worldwide oil price, all this kind of stuff. And the more he was talking and the more I was reflecting on having been in Russia recently and how the difference between this year and 10 years ago, I thought when I read about the 20th century, the First World War and the Second World War, what what is happening in Russia, I mean, the a- Atlanticist powers would not tolerate that. Like they would kill those people for doing that really is my conclusion. I know that sounds harsh, but I feel like World War One and World War Two, by extension were more about stopping Germany and Russia from from dominating that Eurasian continent. And if that's where, where we're headed, I really am afraid that we might be headed for a war with Russia. Like, really, I think if that's the only answer, I don't think these guys are going to take second place or even share the stage for uh, with you know, laying down. If we go back to the Chatham House and Sir Andrew Wood and the Russian challenge and the papers and the panel discussions they've been having for the past, at least since like 2010, they have, at least Sir Andrew Wood seems to have come to the conclusion that some sort of conflict is the only way to remove Putin from power and install. He says that. Uh, he actually says that, yeah, and he's known he as the guy who, who likes to break up countries. He chuckles at his own. He's he self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed yeah. likes to break up countries. And right. Russia is quite a mother to yeah. break up. So I would agree with your assessment there. He actually I, – I saw – he's been commentating in the news lately about you know Trump and Putin's relationship. And I'm like, how can you, how can you have this guy as a commentator, as a pundit? That's like this is not an unbiased person. What they did in England, they actually had a a a lot of people at the top who who 
looked like they were resisting war with Germany. So it looked like there's this internal struggle. It did not look like there's this united front. A, a, a very high level decision had been taken to not allow this emergence of economic rivals that they they actually make it look like like somebody that it's a that's a real process going on and that war when it does come is inevitable we resisted it but i have a question for you go for it what do you think world war three if this is what you know looking at what's happening today the conflicts that are happening today from israel uh I think was in the news recently for bombing Gaza, I guess, and uh, all the stuff about Russia. So those are the two hotspots for all three wars was the Middle East and and that kind of German-Russian uh, frontier, I think. I mean, I'm, I think that's right. Uh, what do you see World War III looking like? Is it nuclear? Are civilians dying? Are soldiers dying? Is it drone? Is it is it like not – we don't even – it's not even in, on the TV. Like, what does it look like? I think it's probably going to be a combination uh, hybrid warfare. I don't know. I'm sure there will be probably troops in some countries. I, I don't know where. I think the cyber aspect of it is going to play a major role in it. I, I think it's going to be a real transformation of warfare. They they just talk too much about cyber warfare over the past couple of years uh, for yeah. World War Three to not for that not to be a major a major pillar of World War Three. I was reading a press conference or a seminar, I think it was, of a Russian general from years ago, may, maybe five, six, seven years ago or more, where the guy was saying, "Oh, the battlefields of the future are going to have robots that can jump, you know, like run." Which I've seen. I've seen or videos. Of doors them. open like the one from Boston Dynamics. <laughs> have sex with two people at yeah, once. Yeah, that went like, That's that's the three way headline you sent me repeatedly in the dirty pictures. That came There's on. there was an article about not to not to go on too far of a detour, but there was an article recently about how soon people will be able to have sex with Alexa because it's going to be integrated into sex dolls. You know, just what everybody's wanted. Wow. Well, you send me these articles, you text them to me, and I guess, unbeknownst to you, they have pictures of, like, naked women. Yes. You did that, like, twice in a row. I sent Monica an article that (laughs) it was about – the story was about a former Playboy model who apparently got into a, quote-unquote, steamy sexual relationship with Guccifer 2.0. I don't know how how it's steamy because she had never met him in person. It was all (laughs) online, yet it was a steamy relationship. I guess the steamy aspect was that she sent him a topless photo. And I was looking at it on my phone, and there was no, like – there was no provocative cover photo on the link (laughs) at all. And this was, like, a regular – uh, this was a Rupert Murdoch owned newspaper or magazine or whatever that regularly has articles that I think Trump <laughs> even did an interview at recently. And I sent Monica the link. And then when I look at the thing on my phone, <laughs> it showed a picture. They had a they had the topless picture of the Playboy model in the cover photo. Yeah, I like my, I sit there at dinner with my children <laughs> and my husband, and sometimes I have the phone up in case one of my kids is out at soccer, and you know this picture pops up, and it was huge, like the it was a noticeable. It, it I, I was, was shocking. shocking. It was shocking. 
it goes to the vulgarity stuff that you've been talking a lot about. I, I really, oh, yeah. I, I was so shocked by that. I was like, I used to have to sneak. We used to have to sneak into my friend's uh, dad's room and find his Playboys to see these kind of pictures when I yeah. was a kid. Nowadays, you know, it's you know probably going to be on CNN tomorrow. Well, I'll tell you. The more I think about it, they when I when we re- report on Google having forty thousand YouTube censors, and I see my kid with Down syndrome, I have no tr- wanting YouTube. He's addicted to YouTube. I have absolutely no way to refine the screening, the censor. I want to make sure he's not getting too much violence, too much vulgarity. And there, I don't even, I guess the on off switch of safety is just simply porn because he has these guys who comment on dumb kids cartoons using nothing but vulgarity. I really don't get it. I do That's not get it. That's how you become it. a YouTube star is you target children and you do weird puppets or you just swear all the time. All the time. It's nothing but swearing. My other kids get worried about my son who has Down syndrome, like, mom, he can't listen to that anymore. But unless I sit there with him, you know, and I like to give him an hour on YouTube, I can do the laundry, whatever. There's no way around. I'm just saying they have 40,000 censors. I don't need them censoring out pol- political nuances. They censored me out for criticizing Sheriff Israel. You know what I mean? They're not, they're right. not censoring ISIS out, right? They're still, ISIS is still all over the place, but I don't get, uh, I'm the one who's censored, so that's what they're using it for to, to to cut the the to cut it so broadly that I'm not even allowed on it. But every possible other thing, yeah, every pedophile with a puppet, yeah, everything. There is no there is no censorship, and I don't want censorship like they censor it. I want them to just give me buttons. Yeah, you know another thing that kids are targeted with that I have found they uncritically except because you know their children their brains haven't developed uh, critical faculties yet is the videos about uh like top 10 most shocking things you didn't know about blank about some insert some topic whether it's aliens or whatever i've yeah, had spongebob yeah spongebob yeah there you go i've had my nieces or my nephews and my friends sons repeating these things verbatim and i'm like wait a minute you know slow down and and the stuff they're saying is is they're getting just complete misinformation and lies but you know because these uh clickbait headlines are targeting children who don't know how to analyze this stuff it's it manipulates yes my son would no longer watch spongebob and i asked him why and he said because it's so dark he said, I think I told you this, that Squidward is suicidal. And I said, why? What do you, what makes you think Squidward is suicidal? And he said, it says it right there, right there on the blurb. And in his mind, I think he, well, the way it was explained to me, it was like on the TV, like the TiVo said Squidward's suicidal, but it wasn't. It was a YouTube video. Yeah. And he, and he watches that stuff all the time and blind reactions, which is very full of cursing i think my, my yeah the the reaction ones is just a, somebody screaming in outrage or in shock and swearing those are reaction videos to children and the children just laugh every time somebody swears absolutely all right i wanted to address briefly something that you know a little bit about that you're good at is um how to talk to rabid trump haters and, <laughs> 
after the show on Saturday, my friend called me and he was getting ambushed. He he is a libertarian. He is he's not like you know, he's more uh he has more conspiratorial beliefs. He believes that it's, you know, kind of similar beliefs as you or I. You know, powers uh, up top are controlling everything. There's not really two sides. You know, there might be two sides ideolo- ideologically, but those in power just kind of manipulate the ideologies for their own purposes. He, Does he think those people in power are lizards? No, I don't think he goes with the David Icke philosophy. I have yeah. no idea, but I don't think he goes down that far. Um, actually, I, I know he doesn't because he hasn't been able to watch. He always falls asleep when he tries to watch those. He told me so. <laughs> Um, I guess not. But anyway, he's getting he, he likes Rand Paul, and he's getting ambushed by all these people. He does theater. He's getting ambushed by these people calling Rand Paul, "Oh, your boy's a traitor." He's uh, you know, uh, he's committing treason, and he's getting just he's getting sent these text messages, and people are making comments to him because he's like the only person in the circle that he's around sometimes who doesn't just rabidly hate Trump. So whenever they want to, you know, slam uh, uh, somebody who they perceive as the enemy, they go to him, you know, like he's the only one in the circle. Oh yeah. He gets targeted. That has happened to me. Right. Because they're looking for a fight. Right. That's exactly what they're doing. And he's like, I mean, they attack you personally and always in a crowd of people who agree with them. Exactly. They didn't use any evidence in their accusation about Rand Paul. They just shouted things at him, basically. He would tell me things that we had played, like George Lakoff telling people to say. So I'm like, I know exactly where they got it. They're just repeating things that they're being told. There's no critical thinking going on at all in this conversation. So I was thinking about this, and when talking to people, you know, obviously you want to do it. If you can, a one on one setting, it's going to be the best way to do it. But you have to think about the frame of mind that the people you're talking to come in with and because of a lot a lot of the propaganda and a lot of the the outrage that has been stirred up people come into these conversations not to have a conversation not to use critical thought not to use reason they come into it simply to win to shut you down and to shout their points at you the points that they've been they've been given through the propaganda so their goal is not in any way to have a conversation or develop new ideas or potentially change their view on something their their goal is only to shut you down and only to shout you down it is to win and your goal or his goal i said i said your goal isn't to do that you're, you're not trying to win you're, you're trying to have a conversation you're trying to you know show them here here are some ways that people are deceiving you and you have to understand the difference in the mindset there. One person's coming into a fight. The other one's coming in trying to reveal something. So you have to get them out of that mind frame. If we react the same way that everybody else reacts to their their outrage and their shouting, then we're going to get the same reaction that everybody else gets. So we have to react in a different way, which you do a good job of on the radio. Lenin and actually Saul Linsky talks a lot about this about the importance of making absolutely everything political because if you make everything political, if every issue that everybody talks and thinks about is made into politics, then every issue is potentially divisive and polarizing, and every single issue can be used to divide and conquer the public. So that's why they want to make everything political all the time. In order to have these conversations, you have to enter it from a different angle. You have to somehow make it non-political. It can't, it's not a fight. It's not about who's trying to win. 
you have to make this a non-political thing. It's not about, you know, you left or right or whatever. This is about, let's talk about some deception tactics, mass communication tactics have been used, or, uh, you know, since the beginning of time, uh, whether you're pointing it out in a commercial and, uh, in some other, uh, you know, context that isn't political in nature. Just, I, I just think that's something to think about is how to have these conversations in a way that makes them not political because when they aren't political, those outrage triggers aren't, aren't ready to go off in the person that you're talking to. And they're more receptive to having conversations and more open-minded because they're not thinking about winning. They're not thinking about shutting you down. I have, I just wrote down like a million things. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you, but I have a lot of go reactions. For it. Yeah. I'm going to go backwards. One is from last thing you said, Making things all political. I have absolutely noticed that to the point where this was never true. And I've always, when I grew up in New York, my family, they weren't Republican. We were, they weren't called libertarian then, but we were traditional conservatives. My parents voted for Barry Goldwater, I think. He might not have been conservative enough for them. They, they liked Pat Buchanan until Pat Buchanan didn't want free trade or immigration. My parents were really libertarians. That did not make us popular in New York, but it never really came up like we didn't really people didn't come over and pick fights with my parents like that. I mean, maybe they gravitated towards like minded people. I don't know. But now I noticed that when I, I I was when we were talking about like people are picking fights with you when they're with other people who agree with them. The two yeah. people I were thinking I was thinking about were are my friends. Yeah, you know? they're too. actual friends. And, and it gets to the point where I just don't even want to deal with them. Like, I'm like, you know what? I can't. Right. I, I just I, I don't want to hang out with you because I know feels. you're going to say, how's your boy Trump? And it's like, it's not my boy. That's what I, that's exactly what they yes. say to my friend. And I'm like, I'm not even a Trump supporter. And of course, the Trump supporters know I'm not a Trump supporter. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a hater, but I just whatever. I, I can't. I'm outside that dialectic. I can't. I can't get back in it. It's not possible. My mother, she said, oh, I noticed last week you weren't so tough on Trump like you normally are. I said I wasn't not sure. I was just thought he did a good job in talking to Putin. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always tell you what I think specifically about the issue. I do have an overview. I think everybody's kind of like an actor, including him. But so so. So when something ha so one of my friends is super, I mean, like, ridi ridi ridiculously, <laughs> like, so far left. It's it's not even ideological, you know what I mean? It's just political left. So something came up about Bill Cosby, and I'm actually still expecting to pe people to be from the old left, where we should agree on this, which is, my point was, the Sixth Amendment is too important. You know, the Sixth Amendment is really important, and stuff like this, where we violate it, is bad. Her answer was, and I quote, Bill Cosby is an idiot. Well, and I was like, I, I mean, that was her answer. And I was like, I, how can you not care about the Sixth Amendment? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I, I don't understand. It's just this knee jerk thing. It just comes from this, this bucket of stuff that you're supposed to regurgitate. It doesn't even make sense anymore. War with Russia is not something Democrats should be promoting. Yeah. You know, these immediate things that they put in people's face, it undermines their ability to use abstract thinking, which is required to defend. Yes. The so, this is, so I think I'm figuring out what the problem is. So this is the fact that it's all political and totally a deal breaker is that in the old days, you could actually discuss the ideology. 
and yeah. you could you could discuss it and you would actually always both agree on the Sixth Amendment. You would always agree on that. I mean, that's the beauty of it is that really it would just come down to what does the welfare clause mean and the Constitution. But everybody kind of supported the Bill of Rights. Now people will totally abandon the Bill of Rights left and right on an issue by issue basis. If, if they can beat the other side by doing so. Yeah. And Muslims are terrorists. You know, like you just have to. You don't understand things aren't the way they were when the founders established this country or we, you know, we've progressed past this basic human rights. So that's one thing I, I in response to what you were thinking. Uh, I absolutely learned from uh, a great producer I had. I completely changed my experience on the air. You get what you give. Yeah. You get what you give, and you're telling me that they're that they are deliberately giving me emo and hostility and all that, and I, I just let it dissipate. I don't buy into it uh, because she told me that, and it made my life so much better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they always just blow themselves up. I mean, always. Say that again. My headphones fell off. Sorry. They always blow themselves up. Always. always. Oh, yeah, they definitely do. They don't know what to say when you ask them questions like that because they're so used to getting the exact same reaction, which is going to be the the counter narrative, the, the talking yes. points of the other side shouted to them yes. that when like, someone yeah. reacts in a different way or asks them questions, it short circuits them. Yeah, like the guy was saying, like, you Trump supporters, like, I'm not a Trump supporter. Like whatever. Yeah, he had no idea. He just started <laughs> making things up at that. I feel bad for him because he he cares. He cares, and he, he did not cares. hear me. I was like, "Don't don't blow up Syria." I could feel his blood pressure rising. Yes. It's yes. crazy. Well, he really cares, and I'm like, "Don't blow up Syria." He's like, "What about 9/11?" I'm like, "Yes, Saudi Arabia did 9/11, and they're on our side in the Syria thing." Like, you're making no sense. And uh, anyway, yeah. So. So my original, when you first started this uh, idea, what do you do there? I, uh, my very first like basics for arguing is get your, get your principles straight. And for me, it's very simple. Don't steal or don't kill and don't kill. Don't touch me or my stuff. It's very simple. So you could, you could deconstruct or, drill down to any argument on any issue and say, look, my agents are not allowed to steal or kill. So without justification. So we have to talk about that. And then you need to just make sure you know the facts you're talking about. So when Rand Paul says Russia has interfered in fewer elections than the United States has, he might, I don't know that he's right about that. He did mention the name of his source and the report they did. So Mm -hmm. it would take one second for you to verify those facts. And then you can talk about your principles, your facts. And then I would say the next level is, uh, you clarify what it is that's going on there. So what I've done on Twitter a lot is say, uh, are we, First, two questions. Are we arguing ideology or are we arguing facts? Because if we're arguing facts, we need to just step down, stop down and verify the facts or conclude that we can't verify the facts or um, dismiss the facts, you know, disprove the facts. So we can't ever get anywhere. We don't know what to do here with Syria and Saudi Arabia and whatever. So I would say the default position is don't kill anybody. 
until you can verify the facts. And if it's ideology that you're arguing, what's your goal here? Is your goal to change my ideology or is it to understand my ideology in case it's better than yours? Exactly. Or are you just an asshole? (laughs) I don't say, are you just an asshole? But when they can't answer that question, like, what are you after? Changing my ideology or changing your own? In which case, neither is happening on Twitter, (laughs) you know? And you just, you have to find out what they're after and what, and, and they will, I think at that moment, a a thought will pop into their minds that they will then dismiss immediately and bury as hard as they can, which is, no, I just want to fuck with you because I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I hate Trump and I hate Trump people. And I, I know I can get away with it with you because you're like nice or I know you or you're outnumbered or whatever. So any any response to disagreement or to questioning doesn't come with a well-reasoned, it's not a well-reasoned argument that they respond with. It's ad hominem attacks is what they respond with. Oh, I get that all the time. You're an idiot. Yeah. You shouldn't have a job. Like I'm an idiot. Yeah. Nazi is even more than I normally get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nazi actually said like, well, I'm not a Nazi. Because, you know, but you're an idiot. I'm like, well, I'm actually not an idiot. You know, I could be wrong and maybe even bad, but you can tell I'm not an idiot. Maybe I'm being an idiot about this issue, but what issue are you talking about? This is after the show. So I've had a three-hour show. Someone's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, I I don't even know what he's talking about. (laughs) You know, I can't trace my steps. Well, it's what that does, and we know this logically, but because ad hominem attacks feel personal, we react to them. It's challenging not to react to them, and that's why they work. I, I told my friend because he was describing the conversation he had, and the person he was talking to made an assertion without evidence, and then my friend said, well, who's your source on that? And then the person he was talking to – I can't remember what the specific assertion was – when he was asked about the evidence, he just started saying, what are you, what are you siding with Russia? He started making ad hominem right. attacks. And that made my friend get defensive, just as it would make anyone get defensive, because it feels like when someone raises their voice and starts shouting things at you, it feels like you're being attacked. Your body reacts physically as though it's being attacked. So you start to get defensive. And what that does is it effectively diverts from the most important question. And the only thing that matters for the rest of the conversation is what is your source for that claim that you just made? (laughs) Until you tell me a source, we have no reason to continue talking because you have not proven or given any evidence to what you just said. They will say at that point, because I faced it, you're hopeless. Like, uh, I think there's a new field, epigenetics. It makes it very clear, which it should already be clear, that Darwinism is too simplistic. It just, it's, you can't have, the randomness is, it's just, there isn't enough time in eternity for randomness. I hope maybe people won't like this, but epigenetics is an emerging field that shows that there's more to kind of subcellular activity than just mutations that benefit a species and change it forever and ones that kill it off. So, uh, but I said that to a guy, a very adamant, actually communist, like he actually likes Mao. And uh, I told, I, I said that and he said, you can't start questioning science. I mean, then you're really just gone. You're hopeless that you can't, that's just puts you outside 
the realm of yeah. discourse. Yeah. It, nothing does that. Flat Earth Mark is not outside the realm of discourse. I agree. Lizard people, it's not outside the realm of discourse. Always refute, never dismiss. Right. And to to what you were just saying there, I told my friend, I said, as best you can, learn to – it's hard. Try to let those ad hominem attacks bounce off you and stay laser-focused on that most important question – what is your source of the claim you just made? Because until that is given and until it is proven to where both of you agree that, that it is acceptable, then there's no reason to move on. There's no reason to move on in the conversation. Well, so stay laser focused on that. In my opinion, and I told him to do this, I said, because I know this person he was talking to. I don't know if this would work with everybody, right. but I said, you know, I, I know so-and-so. And to be honest with you, it, it disappoints me because I never expected him to be the type of person who when yeah. there's a group of people yeah. and there's one person who's being shamed and kind yeah. of bullied by everybody else, I never expected him to be the type of person who was going to jump in with the mindless mob and stomp onto one person who's by himself. I always expected well. him to be the kind of person who would actually stand up for that small minority uh, even if he didn't agree with them and stand up for their right to speak, that's that's who I thought he was. So it's really disappointing that he's actually jumping in to stomp on the minority. And but you I, know how hard that is in a crowd to do. Yeah, it is, especially in the moment. He talks to this guy one on one quite a bit too. I have another it's, layer of a suggestion for your friend if he if he if he's laser focused and they get us, you know, they reach a stalemate. You could also direct him to the Putin Wallace interview where Putin, he has a lot of facts and stuff that isn't facts. And he just tells Chris Wallace that they're facts. I I really, that was my best part. My favorite part was Chris Wallace gives him non-facts, like an indictment is not evidence, whatever. (laughs) But he also gives him facts like your missile video shows Florida, you know, and in both cases, Putin just, Slaps him down, which I loved, but I just thought it was funny because Wallace was trying such, such a uh, juvenile, such unsophisticated tactics yeah. to try to get the better Putin. But what Putin did also repeatedly was whenever Wallace wanted to take his facts and make this broader point, Putin would drill down into what is mutually agreeable and underlying issue. Like, don't you believe in democracy? Isn't it democracy we're talking about here? Isn't aren't we talking about innocent lives no matter where they live? Like, isn't what are you talking? You were talking about free markets. Are we not allowed to agree on a fair price for oil? Like the stuff like that. Yeah. He just kept drilling down Socratically. And you really have no reason to think that Putin believes in that in his soul, like he has ideology. I would think he does not. I don't know. But when he talks about that stuff, he's schooled in it. He understands the principles of the social democratic ideology, and he holds people in the West to their own standard. That's all he does. Right. So you could do that. You could say, okay, what do you want? You want the best for the most people, right? So are you willing to kill some people so the other people can have the best? How do you know? How do you make those judgments? You know what I'm saying? Like, ask the guy what yeah. he what he's after. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Oh, uh, 
You made me think of something, but I forgot it again. I guess I'm oh, come on. leading thoughts again. I think it's important to think about ways to respond to these communications and the way that people react because we can't react the same way everybody else does. I want to add a random nonsense. Go for it. Thank you. Uh, one thing I realized, it's like one of those things that I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I had a dream about that. One of the clips from Putin's interview with Wallace that I did not realize the significance of until like, I popped out <laughs> to wake up for in the morning was he said this thing about he's like wallace asked putin you were supposed to be a democratic reformer what happened to you and putin says what happened to me and then he rattles off all this awful stuff he said what happened to you what happened to the west but one of the things he rattled off i believe in that answer was how the west applies its own laws own actual domestic laws extraterritorially. And I wasn't really, I was just thinking that he was talking about sovereign, you know, the sovereignty issue that we violate people's sovereignty all the time, but he wasn't. I think what he was talking about, and and I'm almost certain it's Mueller who did this. Under him, I believe after 9-11, the FBI started enforcing law internationally. Now, the CIA is the intelligence agency. It is allowed to operate internationally. The FBI is supposed to operate domestically as a federal law enforcement bureau, but they will exercise their authority in other countries that I've read about. I can't think of an example offhand, although my guess is that there's hundreds of examples if I just stopped and thought about it for a second. But what I do remember distinctly is reading in one of the many articles I read about Mueller that it was he who expanded the scope of the FBI abroad. And I just think it's kind of funny that Putin was taking a shot at him. Uh, and it was, I took a lot of shot. I, I have an outline of all the things Mueller did that were totally illegal and deceptive and damaging and fatal and all that. And I forgot about that one. I didn't think about the significance of it until Putin pointed out. Now, that's a guy who's holding us to our own standards. Yeah. Putin's probably known Mueller for a long time. Personally? Oh, because of the uranium? The uranium and what you just said. The guy's been an international player for the elite for quite some time. And now he's leading Oh, yeah. Oh, because of Lockerbie. I'm sure Putin was very familiar because Lockerbie was what, in the 90s? Was that Lockerbie airplane bombing? I'm not familiar. Oh, the Lockerbie bombing a a plane went down over Scotland. Let me make sure. I, I mean, I this is off the top of my head. I believe it was in the 90s. And uh, a Libyan guy was was framed for it. And the by Mueller, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it was a very fishy trial. And after that, Libya agreed to pay like billions in reparations, if I'm not mistaken. And. And eventually that guy, he was dying of cancer in the hospital. He got returned to Libya, which I was outraged, you know, but, but he, I don't think he was guilty. And then around that time, Gaddafi said, I'm not paying these reparations anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm kicking Chevron out of the country, something like that. And then he was gone. Then Gaddafi was scalped the next year and Chevron was back. If I'm not mistaken <laughs> about that. Yeah. But the Lockerbie bombing, the, the underlying story, and this was something that was alluded to in Time magazine. So this reached the level of mainstream acceptability. That there was a guy, I forget his name, 
believe he was a, a DIA guy. I believe he was a defense intelligence agency guy. And he found evidence of the CIA dealing in drugs, cross-border drug transactions, probably to generate black money, whatever, black yeah. ops money, um, or maybe just to cause trouble and control governments. I really don't know. But he had the evidence. And so they brought down the plane. That's called haystacking when they like kill a lot of people and you don't know who it is they're after. Yeah. The last fatality on a plane besides the Southwest engine failure, which I don't buy as a totally uh, up and up story. The last fatality on a U.S. plane before that was like seven years ago. 50, 60 people died. And one was a 9-11 activist who had been married to a guy who died in 9-11. So I thought maybe that was an example of haystacking in Buffalo. So it's widely believed that this guy was assassinated in that way. And the FBI, if I recall correctly, I didn't refresh my memory on this, but the FBI had uh, been on the scene, like was first on the scene to the crash and actually retrieved this like metal fireproof briefcase of the guy who died and took it away before the locals could get their hands on it. And I think Putin was probably... Was he not named as Yeltsin's number two around that time? Or in any case, he was high on uh, in the KGB. I'm not sure. I do recall him being his number two, but I don't know the year. That was like at the very end. That was back before I was paying close attention to international affairs. Were you 10 years old? Yeah. (laughs) So Yeltsin was there till 99. And I believe his, yeah, Putin took over after him. And Lockerbie, 1988 was the bombing. So that was even before. That's when, I believe that's when Putin was 100% in the KGB. So he really probably would have been all over that. Oh, yeah. He was in the KGB from 75 to 91. Yeah, I remember reading that. So he was a lieutenant colonel. That kind of seems not. They've both been international players for quite some time now. So <laughs> Sorry, are you mad at me? You're going to cut all that out. No. Uh, you can, though. But, yes, yeah, so I'm sure he was all the heck over that. Oh, yeah. Mueller definitely seems to have his foot in a lot of things that are corrupt. All right. I'm going to play you a clip of James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence under Barack Obama, He was on CNN today. He was on a bunch of their shows because the outrage of the day is that Trump threatened to revoke the security clearance from James Clapper and Brennan and a couple of other people who apparently still have security clearance. In the clip, Clapper does a couple of things in my opinion. One of them is he basically confirms the existence of the deep state. I I don't know any other way to interpret what he says. And secondly – He reveals just how long he has had national security clearance. If you had to guess, how long would you say that James Clapper has had national security clearance? What since what year? Do I have to guess? Because just ballpark it. See if you can guess. Um, because I accidentally have his Wikipedia page in front of me. (laughs) Oh, you see it. (laughs) I don't see that, but I see that he was the director of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, starting in 91, so I assume... Well, just give it a guess before you read it. Okay, I didn't read it. Um, 
How long has he had security clearance? I'm going to say 50 years. Wow. What this involves is my eligibility for access, which I've had since uh, continuously since September of 1963. You just said that you've had security clearance since 1963. So what, since John F. Kennedy was president? Uh, Exactly. So for people not in the intelligence world, people who are not familiar with the way the government works, can you just explain why you and others maintain that clearance, even though you have retired from the government? Well, the, the rationale, and this is a long-standing practice that goes back decades, that uh, senior formers uh, in, from these positions uh, are granted uh, continued eligibility for access to classified information. And this is to facilitate uh, consultation uh, with those who are occupying or are the current incumbents. And so I've had occasion to uh, engage with senior members of of this administration who, for obvious reasons, will remain nameless, uh, drawing on my, you know, 50 years of experience uh, and my corporate memory and my background on on certain issues. So you help them out. You help out members of the president's, the current president's uh, operation, the current president's government. Yes. Uh, I have notice there at the end, she did not want to say the current president's staff. They were very touchy around the way they were talking about that, because to say so, James Clapper, the person who the president says is spreading fake news, who has been caught lying to Congress. Basically, you have had private influence over the president's staff. Can you think of the conflict of interest there? Listen to the way that she kind of phrased that question again. She was very touchy. Throughout that whole interview. So they, yeah. you help them well, out. Well, you the help Republic, out members of the president's, the current president's uh, operation, the current president's government. Yeah. Yes, uh, I have. You see, she wow. didn't. She was going to yeah. say staff. But she didn't want to, though. Yeah. That is exactly what the deep state is. People right. who have national security clearance and influence over people in the current administration for decades and decades. I want, I want to read you a quote. That I believe they took down, but it was on the Council of Foreign Relations website. And it's from James Jones, uh, the uh, I think is a general, looks like four-star general, national security advisor. It says, thank you for that wonderful tribute to Henry Kissinger yesterday. Congratulations. As the most recent national security advisor of the United States, I take my daily orders from Dr. Kissinger, who is not in government, filtered down through General Brent Scowcroft. So this was, I believe, under Obama's Obama's uh, watch, filtered down through General Brent Scowcroft and Sandy Berger, who is also here. We have a chain of command in the National Security Council that exists today. This was in 2009. He was the first... Uh, the first one of these national security advisors under Obama. And he talks about, I mean, Henry Kissinger, <laughs> right, was under Nixon. You know, yeah. they, they clearly, and this Clapper looks, he was deep into intel during Vietnam. I mean, give me a break. According he to is a CNN, he, he's an employee of CNN. He's yes. a paid pundit. Not only him, yes. though, Phil Mudd, Hayden. There's Be- always somebody on their panel 
who is a former CIA agent. Every single night, this is Operation Mockingbird. And I've said this before. This is Operation Mockingbird where the intelligence agencies collude with the mainstream media to spread propaganda. This is in plain sight. And this is exactly like the Pentagon program that was, I believe, in 2001 where they – put former intelligence assets in all the mainstream media outlets to spread specifically scripted talking points that promoted to the public the existence of weapons of mass destruction. And they knew that they were spreading propaganda. This was exposed by the New York Times actually a few years later. This is no different than that. This is the CIA running CNN. Yeah, and John Miller was the head of FBI, I think, public relations, and he was the guy who had all the exclusives for the Boston Marathon bombing for CBS, and then that's why, like, the Chris Cuomo thing makes me crazy. All right, maybe he's not CIA, but his family is clearly about power in government, and he's there to propagandize us. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that John Miller guy. That was really interesting once I learned more about him. So, yeah, and people take it seriously. That's the thing. They look at it, and yes, you'll hear CNN say the state-controlled media, the state-run media of Russia, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, what are you? It's unbelievable. They are. They have CIA, FBI, former quote-unquote intelligence agents on every single night. Probably most of them still have national security clearance. There's no telling what they're revealing that they shouldn't be. And if they do have opposing or a conflict with the current administration, they have the power to be subversive. I mean, it blows my mind that these people are allowed to have access to classified information regardless of who's in office. And what about the anonymous sources? The anonymous sources. Right. Pump all that stuff out. Yeah, but they, that is, that is the very definition of the deep state. And some people, Defend it because they say, like at Comey, we have a deep culture, not a deep state. I know. That there has to be continuity. See, but here's the thing our system, whether it is possible or impossible for the American experiment to work, I think it's possible. And I think it was working in the 19th century. But what it it is set up to not have all this stuff. So what they're saying is you can't have elected officials and transparency when you're running an empire. It's like, yes, I yeah. know. You know, I know that. We're not supposed to be running an empire. Well, well, Russia and China would take over the world. It's like, not really. What would actually happen is what was happening in the 19th century. We were taking over the world. We were setting an ex- not by actually physically invading other countries, but by setting an example and by having absorbing all the world's resources through sheer peace and prosperity and yeah. everyone else would follow suit and you can have open borders then because people, other countries will simply have to, to follow that path, which is why these people are so hell bent on every single country uh, adopting the same rules. So there's no way to demonstrate that the uh, uh, an alternative of true freedom could work. That's what Russia was promised, was that it was going to be shown true freedom by these free market economists from Harvard and stuff. And they were really just carved up and distributed to oligarchs, ready-made monopolies given away. And it's complicated, but basically given away for a song. And it changed Russia for all that time. And I think Putin's probably correcting that a little bit, although he's backed by a lot of these guys. Yeah, and to make it work or to... You know, continue to fight for it. We have to improve our ability collectively to recognize 
propaganda and to be able to overcome our own bias, our own emotional, you know, it's easy to get emotional when we talk about these issues. We have to be able to recognize that and regulate those emotions and ask questions in order to fight for the American experiment. With that said, I want to analyze one of CNN's shows. CNN has a show called Reliable Sources, hosted by Brian Stelter. I talk about it all the time. That show does kind of what we do. They analyze media. They expose propaganda, or he does, Brian Stelter and his guest. So I figured it would be worthwhile to see what they consider media analysis and to see what they consider exposing propaganda And we can expose their propaganda in the process. But before I play some clips of that, I want to read to you the Ten Commandments of Propaganda. The Ten Commandments of Propaganda is in a book written by a woman named Anne Morelli. What she did was she summarized the contents of another book, which is called Falsehoods in Wartime. It's a great book. Of course, some people who who, – are working probably for the powers that be claim that a lot of the things in this book have been debunked. They haven't. There's no evidence to that claim. Uh, The falsehoods in wartime book, it lists out all of the made up stories that countries use that the allies used during world war one in order to provoke the public into war. And you know, a lot of that stuff that was used back then is still Still used used today. Not just the style, but the actual words. So you're trying to argue for um you know non-intervention whatever and they always start you but nazis right right however world war one and its aftermath literally you can read some of these books that will blow your mind about how england and bankers for on wall street deliberately promoted the most internally destructive ideologies they could find to deliver the final blow inside and out to Germany. That's what this book, Conjuring Hitler, and there are other books like that that really lay it out, that they wanted that. So you can't say, but but Nazis. It's like, no, but don't interfere, and, and that stuff won't take root. That stuff has to be promoted. That's like ISIS and stuff. Where are they getting the money? You know, where are they getting that? And then you just scratch the surface, and you find that our allies do it. Absolutely. The UK or the elites in the UK, they've been manipulating us for hundreds of years. I mean, this is on the record. This isn't even in question. That's why it's laughable when one scholar comes out and tries to say that all of the stories that the book Falsehoods in Wartime shows that are false, when this scholar comes out and says, no, 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 there's actually evidence that that says that all those are true, it's laughable because when Edward Bernays and those that worked in the Wellington House in the UK write about how gullible the American people were for buying the fantastic stories that they spun in order to convince us to go to war, you have the people who made up the stories saying they made them up, saying they couldn't believe how gullible we are. I've um, had people tell me that, thank God they made up those stories right? This because those people had to be stopped. And it's like, but let's talk about World War One, not World yeah, War Two. Yeah. You know what I mean? They get they them confused. Up, people get yeah, them they confused. don't. It, nobody had to be stopped in World War One. World War One is what created Hitler. Yes. I, and it created circumstances for a guy like Hitler to emerge. And yes. then and of all the alternative um, styles that that Germany could have turned to in their political despair, 
this one was promoted from the outside. And so, yes, it, yes, you had to stop it once it was out of control, but getting it out of control was, was done to, to excuse going in there and stopping Germany for other reasons. But people will always use that facts are facts, but truth is truth. You know, we can make up facts because we know what the real truth is and we don't have to waste our time finding real facts. But always, if you have to make stuff up, and I'm talking about, you know, pre-war, the stuff they were making up to get people to start those dominoes falling of true destruction and evil, that if they had to make that stuff up, maybe it wasn't true before. Exactly. It was self-fulfilling. They conjured it so that it would justify, but they started talking it up before they actually succeeded in conjuring. All right. The Ten Commandments of Propaganda. Number one, and this is the people who are propagating for war. They want war or they want some other end, but I believe this summary is specifically focused on war. Number one, we do not want war. <laughs> Very. We're going to read these and we're gonna, you're going to think of a lot of the things in the media that you hear right now. And also keep them in mind when we play these clips from reliable sources here in a moment. Number one, we do not want war. Number two, the opposite party alone is guilty of war. Number three, the enemy is the face of the devil. Number four, we defend a noble cause, not our own interest. Number five, the enemy systematically commits cruelties. Our mishaps are involuntary. Number six, <laughs> the enemy uses forbidden weapons like chemicals, I bet. Number seven, <laughs> we suffer small losses. Those of the enemy are enormous. So that's oh great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that was straight out of the Imperial War Museum. They had an entire exhibit of guys speaking, acting like it was the real guys from World War One, saying – they used chemical weapons first. We have to do it. We have to stop these monsters. We don't want to yeah. use chemical weapons, but we have to do it because they're doing it. I mean, over and over again, I felt, I literally felt like I was in Clockwork Orange just getting, I had to get out of that, that pod. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the only place with a, with a chair. And I like, I just had to sit down for a second. I was tired and, and it was like bombarding me with that. And I was like, you're using chemical weapons. Just let it go. <laughs> Number you're gonna love number eight. Oh no! Number eight, artists and intel and intellectuals back our cause. <laughs> Thank God. Number nine, our cause is sacred. Mm -hmm. And number ten, and maybe my favorite, all who doubt our propaganda are traitors. You're a Democrat or you're evil. <laughs> yep. All right. Number so, one, I have to go back to number okay, one. Back. Get to it. That's Trump's purpose. Whether he knows it or not. Read it again. We do not want war. Right. So Trump obviously doesn't want war with Russia. He's in bed with Russia. Trump doesn't want war. How, what better an excuse? What better, more plausible a denial of wanting war than Trump's uh, relationship with Putin? You make a good point. Okay. So this is the intro of I'm playing you the intro of reliable sources because this is how he frames his, frames his show every single show. This is how he opens. So this is what the show is supposed to be about. Shock and all Trump style. I'm Brian Stelter, and this is Reliable Sources, our weekly look at the story behind the story, how the media really works, and how the news gets made. 
story behind the story, how the media really works, how the news gets made. He's, you know, peeling behind the curtain, showing us how the news really works. Now, this is his opening monologue, which I want to do a screen share because I want you to look at the screen text and the images that come on screen occasionally. And if you're listening to this on podcast, I will put this one on YouTube so you can see these these ridiculous screen text and screen images that they're using. This is his opening monologue where he's introducing what the show is going to be about. It's about two minutes long. I cut it up a little bit. It might be a little bit off with what you're watching on the screen because I I'm know, doing yeah. I'm doing it kind yeah. of a ghetto it's way here. Fine. I understand. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Who's this guy? This is Brian Stelter. This is the host of the show. That guy is that's I am genuine in saying I never watch this stuff. I only get my left wing news from you, Binkley. Well, you're about to see something special here. Then. All right. So this is Brian Stelter. Yeah. Covering the mystery of the Trump Putin meeting. You ready? Yes. Trump's odd behavior with Vladimir Putin is compelling so many people to ask, what does Putin have on Trump? Has Trump been compromised? All of those people, those experts, those reporters, they are looking at the fact pattern and they're seeing something strange, even sinister. No rational president would act this way if he weren't being blackmailed on some level. You can't just dismiss this uh, the, the idea that Putin has something on Trump. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but his behavior is so pervasively bizarre and 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 against the national interest that it certainly raises the possibility yeah. that something untoward is going on. I want to stop it there because I do want to point out that he said experts and journalists are asking, and he even says on the screen title there, experts are asking, has Trump been compromised? Did you notice who those experts were? He just played audio clips. One of them was Joe Scarborough. Yes, yes. The other is is another is a Anderson Cooper CNN panel with Bernstein and this other clown. These are just friendlies from CNN and, and MSNBC that he's using as an example of the experts. The compromise thing. Chris Wallace actually said to Putin, and that wasn't the first time that came up. That's a, a theme that I believe or a meme that was established before the meeting. Like you were saying, the trees and stuff, all that. Yeah. Well, it was all before the meeting. And these guys are saying that uh, no one would act that way. It's bizarre. He's clearly pervasively bizarre. He's clearly being blackmailed uh, against, yeah, against the national interest. He, he didn't act bizarrely. He acted like a statesman. I he know. He did not act bizarrely. And it's why should he? You know, why would it be Russia? Why would it be Russia? Why would it be Russia? It, you know, and Putin made a good point, too. And you made a good point, which is if Putin wanted to <laughs> sway the election, he would have said, I'm for Hillary. I just gave her $10 billion. That's all he had to do if he wanted to sway the election in favor of Trump. You're right. I mean, that's yeah. all he had to do. do Why would do he go a, to such elaborate means? Yeah. And not be effective. Now, the argument would be, and I think this is a better argument. There's always international propaganda, by the way. It's not, it's not false yeah, to say yeah. that. We've been saying right. that for two years. To, to not yes. talk about that is to ignore historical context. Every country that can, that has the resources mm -hmm. to, tries to interfere.
They try to influence just like everybody tries to influence. So you're going to watch RT if they have a strong preference. And I don't think they would have had a strong preference between Trump and Hillary. There's no reason to. I don't think Trump is going to do anything in their favor. Uh, He wants to blow up the Germany gas deal. That's all that anyone cares about. And and he's not on Russia's side. So I do think that Trump's role is to prove the number one rule of propaganda, which is we don't want war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. I would say that a better argument than Putin was supporting Trump because there was a lot easier ways for him to support Trump is the trying to sow discord among the country. But that's what our government or what our media does all the time. That is such a classic example of them saying, pointing out, pointing out a phenomenon that's happening that they are responsible for and blaming the other guy. Yeah, exactly. All right. See, these concerns are now in the bloodstream in a whole new way. I don't think there's any coming back from this. Uh, Josh Marshall of the Liberal Talking Points Memo put it this way. He, he said the press conference in Helsinki made cautious, prominent people start to come to grips with the reality that Trump is under some kind of influence or control by a foreign adversary. Now, Marshall believes that is true. Others are unsure. But the- Wait, can you back that up? It says the Monday press conference made cautious, prominent people start to come to grips with the reality that Donald Trump, as crazy as it sounds and as difficult as it may be to believe, which is the part of the quote that Stelter did not read, is under some kind of influence or control by a foreign adversary power, whether by fear or avarice or some other factor. Josh Marshall. Who's Josh Marshall? Josh Marshall of the Liberal Talking Points Memo put it this way. He, he said the press conference in Helsinki. The, the Liberal that? Talking Points Memo. That's not what, that's an actual name of something. It's Sounds talking- like what Stelter gets on his desk every morning. They're actually providing the propaganda. But, but what are they talking about? Because Putin said, uh, because Trump said, just simply that Trump said he's not sure the intelligence guys are right. Yes, he's saying that Trump is siding with Putin over our intelligence agencies. And this is such odd behavior that people are questioning whether or not he's been compromised. I can't even wrap my mind around how overblown this is. Now, Marshall believes that is true. Others are unsure, but the concern is palpable. GOP Congressman Will Hurd says Putin is manipulating Trump. And he asks, what should we do? Of course, the week of walkbacks. I want to look at that one, too. Yeah, me, too. I didn't even see what this guy said. They, they only leave it on the screen long enough so yeah, that, you you know, nobody can it. read it unless they stop it. Trump treasonous traitor. Oh, yeah, that's what, like, George Will came up with some insane headline. There, why, why are the – is it lose on purpose for the GOP or what? Why are they all piling on Trump? Why are they fomenting schism in the own party? Okay, it says, over the course of my career as an undercover officer in the CIA – I saw Russian intelligence manipulate many people. I never thought I would see the day when an American president would be one of them. Now let's go back and and see what Stelter said. GOP Congressman Will Hurd says Putin is manipulating Trump. And he asks, what should we do? Where is any of that? Well, it's the headline behind, but I can't tell if that headline was his quote or not. He took some liberties with that quote for sure. Of course, the week of walkbacks did not inspire any confidence. Frankly, too many members of the media kind of fell for Trump's cleanup act, you know, his double negative excuse. But you can't clean up actions with mere words. Trump's actions 
are what have brought us to this place. Which are critics what? like Obama's CIA director John Brennan are accusing him of treasonous behavior. Now, it's been almost a week, almost a week since the Trump-Putin meeting, but it's still shrouded in secrecy. Trump didn't even debrief key officials in his own administration. He has not debriefed key allies on Capitol Hill either. So we've seen some concerned officials and lawmakers trying to sound the alarm, some by speaking out on the record, others by leaking to journalists. So it's worth noting what Trump did in reaction, what he did in reaction to all the coverage. Well, according to the Washington Post, he reacted furiously. And we could see some of that on Twitter. You know, Trump lambasted the fake news media, saying it was going crazy on Thursday. That same day, he told John Bolton to invite Putin Hold to Hold on, what did that say? Go back. Okay, this is Donald Trump's tweet. It says, the fake news media is going crazy. They make up stories without any backup sources or proof. Which is exactly what Stelter's yeah. saying, doing many, right now. Many of the stories. Yeah, because he's like, it's his actions. So I'm like, what were his actions? He's just a mouth like and, every other politician. Then he what cites happened? John Brennan, who, yes, you know, yes. whether you like it or not, did vote for a communist candidate. In the oh, did he? And he supposed like, whatever, there's a lot of stories about him. Many of the stories written about me and the good people surrounding me are total fiction. Problem is, when you complain, you just give them more publicity, but I'll complain anyway. So he did not read any of that. No, because only the highlighted part is important. Right. I still want to know what his actions were. So now people much smarter than me are asking, (laughs) why is Trump trying to bring Putin to D.C.? when his own director of national intelligence says it's undeniable Russia's trying to wreak havoc over the election process. The warning signs, the sirens are going off all over the place. And you can see journalists have been trying to trace the connections, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. When he says the warning signs, this is when this graphic of Donald Trump and all these faces linking in this little web to Vladimir Putin comes up. Like This is... The essence of a conspiracy theorist right here. This little bullshit yeah. they have on the screen. Yeah. Not to mention you could put anybody at that level of like net worth or political or whatever and draw lines. It's six degrees of separation from anyone to anyone. Look at this. Like, and the bubbles are ridiculous. Russian business interests. I know. Yes. They flash like, that's this. Everybody in the world who's Russian, any right. international business is going to have a Russian – I mean, just take a look at this. They flash this on the screen just for a couple of seconds. You have no idea who these people are. You have no idea unless you stop it. You don't know what these say in the middle here. And all you see is Trump, a big picture of Trump, a big picture of Putin, and then a bunch of lines drawn to it. And like to the audience, it's like, well, there it is. There's all the connections. And what he's saying right now is that the journalists are trying to uncover this truth. And he asked an important question here towards the end of it. And then uh, hold on. But I have to say the only face I recognize besides Putin and Trump in this whole thing is Jeff Sessions. And it's true. It's a line to Sergei Kislyak, which I guess was like an ambassador to Russia who Jeff Sessions shook the hand of at the RNC. Like that was the big thing. Jeff Sessions laughs about it. It's like that guy, like a Russian ambassador in a, international setting or whatever it was. Maybe it wasn't even the RNC. 
But that's the connection. He shook that guy's hand once in an official U.S. capacity. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I know the only line I recognize, I know is BS. Now, Trump might be in bed with all these people and Manafort and all those guys, just like Hillary probably was, you know, or the Podestas were or whatever. But they're not really getting to any of that. You cut out there. Sorry, I think they never really, it's just like Operation Fast and Furious. They don't really want to get to, they don't want to open the can of worms because everybody's in it. When Mueller brought uranium to Putin or to Russia for Hillary, as per you, what you pointed out, it's very clear this kind of stuff isn't some smoking gun against Trump and collusion. It might be of Hillary and collusion. Oh, absolutely. All right, I, I'm going to get out of this 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 because this thing is killing our connection here. Oh, I see. But here's the end of that little opening monologue. And you can see journalists have been trying to trace the connections, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. But that's really difficult. I mean, at the, at the heart of this, the story is really a mystery. So our reporters covering it responsibly. How should we get to the bottom of it? It's now, not I a think mystery, that's important. It's a fabrication. Right. I that's think it's, why it's so hard to get to the bottom of it. The question that he asked was, how should we get to the bottom of it? He's not asking, how should we get to the bottom of whether or not Trump colluded with Russia? That's not what he's asking. He's asking, how can we get to the bottom of how we can convince the public that Trump colluded with Russia? So he's not asking about determining whether why do or not you say it's true. That? Is that are you? No, I'm telling. I'm telling you what, what he's, he's implied. Yeah. Throughout, throughout that whole monologue, he's he's. They have never questioned whether or not Trump is colluding. It, the assumption has been he is colluding. Yeah. Here are all the connections. We're just looking for the the smoking gun proof that's going to convince the public that it's true. Yeah. That's what he's really asking. Yeah, but why do people like Coates, who is Trump's, you know, on Trump's team, feed the fire with that? And by the way, what Coates said had to have been totally scripted, and it's possible he is dumb as a box of rocks because Dan Coates, the whatever intelligence something or other director uh, said, I was listening to it in real time on, I think Fox where he said uh, the Russians are trying to wreck havoc on whatever. And then I was like, Oh, he meant wreak havoc. And then later he, again, he says wreck havoc. Now, like I said, my son has down syndrome. He uses the expression wreak havoc, my son. So, it's you don't have to be hyper intelligent to know the expression wreak havoc. I have no idea why Coates doesn't get it, but if he doesn't even know what the expression is, I doubt it was his expression. And all I've heard since then on every newscast on this is is our proof is that his guy said it. You know, that's the thing about this intelligence thing that got Trump into so much trouble is that. These guys are all saying the intelligence people said it like Wolf says to Rand. Aren't you? Can you? Do you not uh, profess loyalty to the intelligence? You know, it's like, no. What? We, it's like Putin said, where's the evidence? Don't that's not go to a court, lay out the evidence, let a judge decide, let the people decide. That's how you make a conclusion. And that's why you can't convince the public, because it's it's a there's no a- they're not giving us the evidence. Well, it's an evil demon, so you don't need evidence when it's an evil demon. That's true because he plays a different game. He doesn't play by the rules, whatever that guy was saying. 
Okay, so continuing to remember, think about some of those 10 rules of propaganda, which we got a little bit of there. I'll, uh, again, as a refresher. Yep. We do not want war. The opposite party alone is guilty of war. The enemy is the face of the devil. We defend a noble cause, not our own interest. The enemy systematically commits cruelties. Our mishaps are involuntary, involuntary, which you hear that in the media all the time. Mm -hmm. It's always the other one intentionally lies. We only made a mistake. The enemy and uses the scale is of their theirs is much larger than right. ours. Yeah. The enemy uses forbidden weapons. We suffer small losses. Theirs are enormous. Artists and intellectuals back our cause. Our cause is sacred, and all who doubt our propaganda are traitors. That's next genius. Clip, this next clip is from a guy named Max Boot. And this guy, have you heard of this guy? I don't I don't know. It sounds familiar, but Max I can't. Boot is my favorite new idiot on <laughs> mainstream media. Max Boot is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and a CNN global affair analyst. He's one of these guys who, like Comey and like Joe Scarborough, often say, I used to be a Republican. Now I'm ashamed uh -huh. of the Republican Party. So he gets put on these, these, um, these shows every night. Just to give you a little context about him, he recently claimed that Barack Obama's biggest scandal was wearing a tan suit and putting his feet on the desk in the White House. <laughs> really? It wasn't 20,000 bombs a year no, on those Syria? Were his, those were his biggest <laughs> scandal. Okay, Stelter asked him in this clip, he, he asked him right after that little summary, what do you think about this, Max Boot? You look at this week, what does it add up to in your mind? Well, I think you, you, you delivered a very good summary, Brian. We are now at a point we are debating for the first time in a serious way whether the president of the United States is disloyal to America, whether the president of the United States is an agent of a foreign power. Now, to be sure, we have not had proof of that, uh, but there is evidence of it. And you're seeing people, very serious people. I mean, this is the kind of accusation in the past was only made by fringe conspiracy theorists, John Birchers and so forth. Now you're seeing people who are very credible, very serious, like John Brennan, the former CIA director, Jim Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, Leon oh the former CIA director, a lot of people in a position to know, and especially, I think Brennan is especially significant because he was actually CIA director during the 2016 campaign, and he was on the receiving end of briefings from our European allies who intercepted communications between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Mm -hmm. And these people are saying that, there is something fishy going on here that Trump is being compromised. He's being blackmailed by Putin because there is no other way to explain his behavior. And that, to me, seems like a very plausible supposition, even though we have to wait uh, for Robert Mueller's investigation to conclude before we have any evidence or proof of it, if, if in fact, the proof is forthcoming. A couple of things, then I want to get your take. Did you notice that notice at the end there? He said, we have no evidence, and then he changed it to no proof because earlier in the comment, he yes. said, there's definitely evidence of it. So yes. he slipped up and admitted that yeah. there's actually not evidence of it towards the end of that statement there. Right. And that, to me, seems like a very plausible supposition, even though we have to wait uh, for Robert Mueller's investigation to conclude before we have any evidence or proof of it, if, if in fact, the proof is forthcoming. He said, "What are?" But I. He said that Clapper intercepted communications. Right. That was my next point. Yeah. Now, he's where's talking that? about Brennan. 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 Yes, he's talking about Brennan is in a position to know because he was the CIA head when Barack Obama was president, and our European friends intercepted communications between 
Trump and the Russians. Now, do you remember when Judge Napolitano made the comment after Trump made the comment that the GCHQ was probably responsible for what's going on, for the intelligence hacks and for the emails? And then Judge Napolitano came out on Fox News, and he echoed a similar theme, and then he was gone for like a month. Do you remember that? (laughs) No, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? He got booted off of Fox News for a while for saying the outrageous statement that the British, the GCHQ, was responsible for a lot of the things the Russians I remember he took a shot at the British, but I can't remember anything. Okay, well, it's absolutely true. The GCHQ, which is a... Intel organization in the UK, along with a bunch of other Intel organizations from the allies, intercepted communications between Trump and Russia. Now, mind you, back then, this is the time where Trump's saying that they were tapping my tapping my wires. Obama was tapping my wires. Everybody's saying, you're crazy. How, How could you say the British did it? This is around the time the guy called me Charles Lindbergh. (laughs) <laughs> on, on WSB. Um, but when you look this up, it's all true. The, there's an article in like the Daily Beast that says the British were the first people to alert us to the Trump and Russia communicating. So with do we get that? Or, or do we have those communications or is it still just hearsay? They didn't have any proof in the in the stuff that I read. All right, because this guy just said, Max Boot just said, Brennan had... Inter- had communications that were intercepted between Russia and the Trump campaign. Have we ever seen that? I have not found or seen them. Maybe those have been out there, and maybe they just they labeled them something differently back then. But if yeah. if it were evidence, as he yeah, said, we would see it. Yeah, we would have seen it. Everybody. What would evidence know. is he saying that IP addresses? Like, what do you think he's referring to? I think he's full of it. Well, he but- also echoes what Chris Cuomo said. Like, this is proof that Trump hates America. Yeah, and that he is definitely in the pocket of of a foreign power. Give me a break. In his credible sources that are saying this, he cites possibly three of the most uncredible sources, which are all intelligence agencies agency heads. Brennan and Clapper are known perjurers, and Panetta, I think he committed treason, basically, as evidenced by a hearing where Jeff Sessions grilled him on where did you get the authority to bomb Libya or whatever, and he said, well, I went to the U.N., Sessions was like, you're supposed to come here. Now here, Stelter, he reads Trump's tweet, and then he goes to Max Boot again. You know, you got to get Max Boot's take because he's from the Council on Foreign Relations. There's there's always a guy from the Council of Foreign Relations. Mm -hmm. Council on Foreign Relations, intel agent, and some random person, usually an idiot from the other side, makes up these, these panel discussions. Although they've they've stopped they've stopped even bringing other perspectives on a lot of these things. They only have one perspective really now. But uh, okay, so he asked Max Boot a specific question about Trump's tweet in this clip. Also, a President Trump tweet. Whether this is propaganda or not, he says the press wants war. He said earlier in the week the fake news media wants so badly to see a major confrontation with Russia, even a confrontation that could lead to war. Max Boot, do you want war with Russia? <laughs> You know, another example of uh, Trump really feeding uh, the Russian propaganda line, because this is exactly what Putin says. His propaganda line is either you have to appease Russia or there will be World War Three. And Trump keeps repeating it. So even as he is denying collusion, he is actually colluding with Russia in plain sight. 
Okay, he doesn't say no oh to begin God. with. That's so upsetting. That and whole thing is very uh, Rules of propaganda. The mm-hmm. other people want war, yes. not us. And how many – you know, we could, we could make a list of things that they have done to antagonize war, one being that they're calling the person in power treason and a puppet of a foreign enemy. They're saying that we have been attacked. Chris Cuomo is calling it an act of war. A bunch of people are calling it an act of war. To say that the media isn't provoking war is just a lie, and he laughs at it. Didn't the king have to abdicate for uh... – for being a Nazi sympathizer? I mean, is this, are they going for that? Are they trying to like start the war and say Trump was against the war? So he's got to go. I don't know. But, but I can't, I I don't know. I would really like some evidence that Putin is anywhere near saying something like Russian appeasement or war because Putin has the absolute high moral ground, whether he believes it or not, it, it, whether he has any ideology or not, it doesn't matter. A fair and even playing field with uh, objective rules of engagement in uh, with economic, whatever, free lay, arm's length transactions is what would benefit him right now. He doesn't want appeasement. He just wants rule of law because we're abusing that. The ro- The declining... Superpower, declining hegemon, whatever, is uh, tends to lose its economic power before it loses its military power. So it's always the one who wants the war is the declining superpower and the emerging power wants economic liberty and no war. So it, it just doesn't even make sense that that would be Putin's position. That's our position or it just would even logically be our position. Yeah, it's just... He didn't say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he right. He laughed. No. He went, how could I ever want war? That's yeah. And then he, I'm not sure they do want war. They just want what they want and they don't care. Well, if, like if some people, well, the CFR guy probably wants war, but I'm not sure every single person there wants war. They're just thinking they're playing small ball. Sir Andrew Wood, who was responsible yeah, he wants for getting war. the yes. dossier here, who breaks up countries yeah, and laughs about war. it, yes. clearly wants war. And is now commentating on some of these mainstream networks. He definitely- and the CFR is part of the conspiracy that wants to, you know, it's the sister founded by the Chatham House Royal Institute for International Affairs. They're the ones who have a plan for Atlanticist global domination. So if that guy does want war. I think the CFR or the Carnegie Endowment 100 years ago plotted in advance to get us into world war one they want those people i believe it's reasonable to say do want war i'm not sure every even the big shots even chris wallace and chris cuomo i'm not sure they actively want war they don't care they're not trying to prevent it but they just want to win whatever battle this is or promote their own careers or maybe appease whoever they know is the power behind the throne i don't know yeah and he made the comment that Trump, by saying that they want war, which is pretty obvious, or they're yes. provoking war, which is pretty absolutely. obvious. And what Trump said was absolutely true. What by just saying said. that, simply by saying that, you're echoing Russia's propaganda line, and you're openly colluding with, with Russia by saying something that to any objective observer is blatantly obvious. Right. That's the thing. That's I, I noticed that. Like – with 
anything. If you just talk about objectively the flaws in an argument, I'll get calls calling me everything from a communist to a Nazi to a fascist. You know, people will just you get this label, even if you're just trying to identify a real inconsistency in the other person's position. Right, because propaganda rule number 10, all who don't agree with our propaganda line are traitors. Exactly. There's only that's amazing. Yeah. And there's only two sides. That's how they pigeonhole you. Yep. Okay, this one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And if this one isn't evidence that he wants war, I don't know what is. He talks about how the media is doing in reporting on Trump and and Russia. This is Max Boot again. I think the media has been doing an outstanding job. I mean, look at what happened at that press conference in Helsinki on Monday, where it was questions from Reuters and the Associated Press that got Trump into massive hot water because he was invited to denounce Putin and he would not do it. And then that flabbergasting question which was absolutely correct to ask does putin have something on on trump which is a not a question you could imagine being asked with any previous president and the fact that putin did not flatly deny it he actually deflected rather than denied Mm. that he had blackmail material on on trump and then he admitted that he favored trump in the 2016 election which right there destroyed one of the major trump lies which is that putin actually wanted uh Hillary Clinton in there because she would supposedly be weaker. So I think the media has done an outstanding job and a very responsible job of covering this debate about treason and about compromising material <laughs> and all the rest of it. But, you know, as Jill suggested, it's not going to convince the president's hardcore followers. I mean, it's it's just flabbergasting to see that something like 70 percent of Republicans approved of the humiliation in Helsinki. <laughs> they are so deep in Trump's pocket and Trump in turn seems to be so deep in Putin's pocket. Uh, it's I mean, this is just such a massive turnaround. I mean, I, I grew up in the 1980s when Republicans were denouncing useful idiots, people who wanted to cooperate with Russia. And now they're the useful idiots. They want to cooperate with Russia. For a former Republican like me, that's very dismaying. That guy is so full of it. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, what is he doing? What is Trump doing? Like, you know, what is he doing? That makes it crystal clear he's in his pocket. He just getting kickbacks assertions with no evidence. Yep. That's it. That's all we got. That's what we're getting nonstop. It's and and people will I'm telling you, people say to me all the time. uh, You know, well, Trump, I mean, with Russia and it's like, I'm telling you, intelligent successful lawyers and uh, people who are really smart (laughs) and they're just, they're just, they are overwhelmed by this, just the sheer avalanche. The repetition. Yeah. Yeah. This is my favorite clip right here. And if I say, I don't believe it, they're like, Oh my God, I didn't know you were a Trump supporter. No, they're just like horrified that I'm a Trump supporter. I'm like, I'm not a Trump supporter. I just think it's stupid. It's just stupid. What are you talking about? what do he do? What did he do and what is the problem? And why can't we talk about the Sixth Amendment for a minute? It's like <laughs> to get accepted to any group today, you're going to be tied up and forced to desecrate a picture of Trump <laughs> before they will associate with you. Fly the baby balloon. Yeah. Yeah, you have to fly the, the Trump <laughs> baby balloon. Otherwise, you're pass not – Pass it around. Everybody has to hold it for a minute. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how you show you're not a Nazi traitor these days. 
here is Brian Stelter. I'll just let you hear this clip. When Trump publicly sided with Putin on Monday, the press didn't blink. Anchors and experts called out the concerning behavior. You have been watching perhaps one of the most disgraceful performances by an American president. This is nothing short of treasonous because it is a betrayal of the nation. He is giving aid and comfort to the enemy, and it needs to stop. We are living in a national emergency. That was the consensus view. (laughs) That was the consensus view? (laughs) All people who work for his network? Yeah, everybody thought that. Wasn't that like Wolf and Anderson Cooper and stuff? Like the people who work at CNN? That is how you try. That's how you attempt yeah. to convince the public that reality is completely flipped. That everybody yeah. believes yeah. something extreme when only a small Spiral number of people do it. Yeah. And he goes on, which it's shocking to me that he even included the poll that I guess he was referencing after this. He he goes a recent CBS poll, which I I, I presume is the evidence he's using to support the claim that everybody believes that Trump, that, you know, Putin is basically in power in the United States and we're all in danger. Um, Here's the poll that he uses to show that that is the consensus view. Brand new today, Washington Post, ABC News poll, finding that overall only 33% of Americans approved of Trump's handling of the Putin meeting. But if you break that down by party, I forgot you can't see the screen. It says only 33% of Americans approved of the meeting, and then it says 50% disapproved. That's it. 33% approved, 50% mm-hmm. disapproved. Yeah. You'll see so 66% what? of Republicans approved of his performance. So yeah, 50% of people disapproving is equal to its consensus that everybody thinks that Trump committed treason. I can't believe 50% is – that is a 100% a function of propaganda. If you watched that press conference, there was nothing wrong with it. Right, and he probably asked – you're right. He probably asked the interns around there, and the 33% yeah. that disagreed with him got fired. Got fired. Day, sure. <laughs> and then tomorrow's poll is going to look a lot better. <laughs> yeah, we, we, did a, we did an internal poll of interns. And now 100% of the people are disappointed. <laughs> okay. Might have one. Oh, I, I got I pulled this one because you you actually said this on Saturday when we were talking on the phone after the show. This is David uh, Zurowick, a media critic from the Baltimore Sun. They're talking about uh, see Trump did an interview with ABC, a guy named Jeff Gore, and they're talking about how Jeff Gore didn't go after Trump as hard as they would have liked to have seen him go after him. Mm-hmm. And this is. Um, this is his response. This is who he would like to see interview Trump. With Trump, you really do need to press harder. I smiled because I've criticized Chris Cuomo sometimes and when he was on the morning show, when he'd really go at somebody. I think that's almost the way you have to interview Trump. I'm, I'm, I'm going back. This isn't an apology to Chris because I've written about it. Hey, I'd love for Cuomo or anyone on CNN yeah. to get an interview with Trump. Didn't you say you'd like to see Chris Cuomo interview him the other day? I thought I can't remember now. Uh, I, I there was a little did. back and forth about about Putin. I thought it was Putin. Oh, Putin! Yeah, you said Putin interview interview Putin. Yeah. That's right. I, I just think because yeah. Cuomo is just does not have the horsepower. He's like a brick. Yeah, but him yeah. and Trump would be like smashing like bricks Anchorman, together. Man, the guy's name is Brick. <laughs> we should call Chris Cuomo. Okay, so the, you you mentioned this guy earlier. I just didn't recognize his name. This is the Intel head, and. 
I'll play Dan the clip. Coates. I think so, yeah. And then I'll tell you what I noticed. Does President Trump know that the Russians are still actively <laughs> interfering in U.S. politics? Does he believe that? It's an open question. And his silence on the matter speaks volumes. His own director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, has been really clear on this point. Watch what he said on Thursday. It's undeniable that the Russians are taking the lead on this. Uh, basically, they are the ones that are trying to undermine our basic values, uh, divide us uh, with our uh, allies. They are the ones that are trying to wreak havoc over our election process. We need to call them out. Okay. You hear that a lot. They're attempting to undermine our values and divide us um, from our allies. But nobody ever actually says what specific values they're talking about. They just say that very generally. I'll tell you what specific values they're talking about. They're talking about the values of the liberal international order, which you can get from the Chatham House reports that talk about that. And it's now emerging in a lot of uh, mainstream news articles from like the Washington Post and the New York Times, this term liberal international order is becoming more mainstream. Those are the values they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, and he was at the Aspen. Was he at the Aspen Institute? That is a real like CFR type organization. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, I know he was in Aspen, but if it was yeah, the Aspen that Institute, that is ser- like a very um shady not shady but it's like i hear that and flags go off all over the place another thing that was in a bunch of those clips and again in that one that we can probably wrap it up on is stelter again said does president trump know that our elections are being attacked right now we're we're under attack we are you know yeah he's not provoking war we are currently under attack that's not a provocation i don't know what is but This theme that it is inevitable that the 2018 midterm elections are going to be hacked and meddled with by Russia is being blasted in our face every Mm -hmm, single night mm -hmm. uh, from the media. Now, I believe – I'm starting to believe anyway that the reason they're doing this is because they don't think that a blue wave is going to happen. Right. And – If a blue wave doesn't happen, then they can go ahead and convince people that the reason it didn't happen because, you know, the consensus view is that Trump committed treason. So it's not possible that a blue wave could not happen unless Putin meddled with our elections. That's the only way. So by doing that, if you follow the the way that communist propaganda works historically is what this does is it doesn't release the tension, you know. They need people to continue to be angry. I think the midterm elections isn't the end of this wave. I think it's the beginning. I think if there is not a blue wave, then that is going to set some people off and completely radicalize them into hardcore militant communists who are willing to do some serious criminal activity on behalf of removing Trump. And they might make it – they might balance it a little. It might not be like a complete blow away. It might be – they might win some but not enough to call it a blue wave so that they have enough they, – they continue to sustain the outrage for another couple of years, and they also harden a few of the more radical people that they've created. And I, I will say I they are shutting down every avenue of the internet, and short of actually cleaning up election integrity uh, by – 
holding people to a higher standard. I mean, I think Kemp won over Cagle today, and that guy is not account has not been held accountable for uh, what might have happened in Georgia in the 2016 election, yeah. which we'll never know. And uh, and and so, what are they saying? If 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 Russia is still doing this, what is their avenue? I, I haven't we cracked down from top to bottom? Where where is it coming from? What form is it taking? Yeah. And do they have to crack down even more? Do we have a complete, you know, federalize all elections, have it all under the Ministry of Elections and and only have state news and all that? I mean, That's what are what I'm they curious about. when they say that, are they talking about actually hacking the machines, which did not happen last time, according to them? The meddling was simply fake news or actually releasing facts that did not favor the candidate they wanted to favor. And look at what these people are doing. All this stuff, there aren't facts. It's just nonstop contentless propaganda to influence your vote. I mean, to really drown out any possibility of you finding out the truth. I mean, it's it's really crazy what they're doing and that anything Russia could do couldn't have a fraction of the impact that this faction in the U.S. is doing. Yeah, and all this stuff that we just heard came from a show that is that says that its purpose is to tell us how the news really gets made and to analyze the media. Is that that's a media analysis right there? Right. I mean, that was and, propagating one point of view the entire time. And it does bother me that it's the same thing. All this stuff, like what what did happen to the left in that they, unlike me, they champion uh, democracy for democracy's sake. But they really don't believe in it because they're they they're trying to undermine it. If we all agreed on a path they did not like, they they feel like, as Kissinger would say, it's too important to be left to the people. Yes. Which may be true. I mean, I certainly don't think objective rights should be vulnerable to mob rule, but these guys seem to think so. Yeah. So what 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 do they want? They want a dictatorship according to their like not even ideological grounds. They want a dictatorship and they have nothing to say. They're not saying I want a dictatorship for the people. I want labor. You know, I want to end war. They don't even say what they want the dictatorship of. They don't even know what they want. They just, I, it, it's there's a few of them that might know what they want. Get a few, they just want to get power in the hands of their champions or sponsors. Exactly. I agree. Totally agree with that. Here's one more headline to close on that we can get out of here. This was recently in the Washington Post, and they they cite George Lakoff. We've talked about him a lot. He's the cognitive linguist who creates a lot of the talking points, and he's a frame specialist, how to frame the argument and which words to say. And then he, cre- he says the words to say, and then everybody in the media, all, all the celebrities that follow him, and uh, they start – they start saying all the things that he tells them to say, and then your friends start saying all the things that Lakoff tells them to say, and then they say stuff like, facts don't matter, so I don't use facts, which somebody I know said recently, and it's something that Lakoff said, and then it kind of uh, it drives you mad. So he, he's an influential <laughs> guy, but here's the headline from the Washington Post, how to write headlines in the Trump era, and they, <laughs> they give us a formula. I recommend the following format for headlines. Quote, Trump falsely claims Muslims celebrated 9-11, end quote, or, quote, 
Trump falsely claims he did not mock disabled reporter, end quote. The key word is falsely the essence of the story. The reporter should never cite a claim which suggests some measure of plausibility without adding falsely. What? What are you? You're reading this from the Washington Post? Yes, this is in the Washington Post. This is how they're saying to write headlines. Always this is call crazy. Trump falsely. Yes. You literally write down the propaganda. And you know what the problem is? People do not realize that the right does it also, whatever yeah. their agenda. So people think, well, of course, it's the left. That's how they get away with it, is that people on the left defend their side and people on the right think their side doesn't do it. That's why the dialectic marches exactly. on. Exactly. Exactly. They think they do the same thing as what was the rule? It was like rule number eight where the enemy is always evil and our mistakes are always uh, a mistake. That's not yeah. exactly how it was worded, yeah, but yeah, yeah. that's what it is. People, our missteps are mistakes. Theirs are evil. Yes, yes, yes. People yes, project yes. evil that's on other list. people's. Yeah. That's a great list. That's really genius. It is. It really is a great list. And that book also um, – Falsehoods in Wartime is a very good book. It's like you can actually download it online for free if you want. It's only like 100 pages. But that's all I got for today. Uh, do you have anything else you want to go into? No, I'm still waking up thinking of all the stuff Putin said that I like, – God, oh, there was hidden meeting in that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but, well, that's – I literally could do a 24-7 news cycle on all the stuff Putin actually said. Like he, he wrote, there were so many threads to pull. Chris Wallace threw out these three people Putin allegedly murdered. I mean, we could do, uh, you could do a week's show on every single fact or item mentioned in that 30 minute interview. Honestly. Yeah. That interview, as well as the questions that were asked during the press conference, is a perfect example of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show of a person coming into a conversation with no intent of actually having a constructive dialogue. The only intent is to win or to kind of get or shout down the person they're talking to because within all of those questions were accusations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all about the questions were the propaganda, just like the Common Core. Yeah. It's like, let's have a conversation. Let's take a test. And the question, I mean, my kids literally say, I learned so much from the questions. It's like, no, right. you don't. They were completely <laughs> unaffected by the answer. It, it, it affected them none. They didn't listen to yeah, it. Their the whole purpose, point was to get the question out. Yes. The purpose is to exploit the audience that tuned in to hear what your guy had to say. And give your questions. But uh, so my point is just that all this stuff, all this propaganda is uh, was it, the media abdicating its constitutional. I, I would go so far as to say responsibility, really, uh, of a free press instead of shouting down the free press and working to suppress it and telling people how to call in my show and disrupt it. We could actually be talking about policy. We could talk about the actual things that you think um, Trump is doing. I don't even care what happened. I don't care. Like, I don't even think it's super important to talk about what happened during the election. Let's talk about the specific things you think Trump is doing to benefit Russia and then uh, how that hurts us. Because it yeah. would benefit Russia to trade freely with Russia and it yeah. would benefit us. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. it wouldn't really benefit probably liquefied natural gas exporters. 
but they're not us. They're that's not what our government is, right? Supposedly. So uh, I'm just saying, let's actually. I mean, all that noise. Anytime you tune into the to the media, it's just noise, and it's never about a policy debate. And so when your friend has a, somebody yelling in his face, you re- really the Socratic method should drill down to: Do you want what's best for? your children's future for this country for, you know what I mean? Let's talk about that and what that means and why you think that. Yeah. Because that's the ultimate question. Yeah, I agree. Uh, One of the people we know truly believes that Nazis are going to potentially threaten him and his family. I'll tell you, there is, there is a dialectic being manufactured from the top that, could result in that because that's where Nazis came from. Yes. If they continue to do it, it will manifest reality. Yeah. I mean, it's the dialectic. It's the extreme on both sides that makes the – it feeds. You right. know what I mean? That's what feeds it. And that's that's where you get the the – and the point of it was to destroy the country. The hate destroyed the host as it always does. And a lot of innocent people – Got hurt millions upon millions inside Germany, inside England, inside the U.S. Everybody, well, I mean, U.S. people went outside. Hawaii was not actually part of the U.S. at the time, although I guess the base was. But uh, I'm just saying they, they, the hate that everybody, hating the Nazis, like you say, the Antifa, is the thing that will escalate, will feed any uh, seminal Nazi movement anyway. It's a spiral of silence, silence effect. It's it's by constantly acting like there's a bunch of Nazis overrunning America or communists overrunning America in the news media and by heightening and, and exaggerating the sphere of that, kind of like Stelter saying that this is the consensus view by representing these radical views as the normal consensus, then that makes people who are rational and reasonable, like 99% of people are, are more towards the middle. And that makes those people start to believe that this actually, this this uh, false reality they're presenting, they start to believe that it's true. And as a result, they start to remain silent because they believe they're going to be socially shamed by not going along with this narrative that they're hearing. And when that happens, when more and more reasonable people become silent for fear of shame, some of them start to even jump on the bandwagon of extremism, which is what we're seeing. I know yes. I've seen this with some people I know. They're, they've started to go along with some of these radical things. They've, start, they've gone from a reasonable know. person to a radical person. They don't have to know. So take the Charlotte. Was it Charlotte wherever where it was like they were marching for – Which they compared Trump's flag. meeting with Putin to Charlottesville. Yeah. So for him to say they were good, good or bad people on both sides, whatever. So you have the people who got the license to march who may or may not have been super radical. I really don't know. But I'm sure there were people there, probably the people who got the permit, who had a very narrowly defined – purpose that was reasonable right? right let's just say that was a scenario i really don't know i don't look into it but they are a narrowly defined purpose that was reasonable so then uh you take the antifa so they're a bunch of nazis then you have a regular guy saying oh they weren't a bunch of nazis if you read what they were actually saying uh they weren't nazis the antifa says you're a nazi 
So then that guy says, wow, I didn't realize what complete a-holes you were. I'm going to go march now, you know, and then they start radicalizing them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So then you've got this, this, uh, the more extreme you get, the more polarizing it is. And then you have this destructive spiral because what you're actually doing is bringing out the worst in people and supplanting analysis and civil discourse with this, um, emotionalism, which is why when you have that, I wish I could remember that guy's name, the Panamanian guy who's like, the system isn't working. That's why we have to march on a highway and stop traffic. So then you just degenerate to where you're no, there is no civility. And then because in a civilly functioning society, you don't get to that point where people are all emotional and hateful and polarized and, and polarizing, you know, you don't get to that point. That's what all these mechanisms and our system's great because it recognizes the minority by having the Senate and the Congress and the Electoral College and all that kind of stuff. So nobody has to get absolutely frustrated beyond their minds, you know, move yeah. to another state, whatever. But as they that maybe that's why maybe this is an insight. That's why this stuff is going hand in hand with neutralizing diminishing, making it impossible to work through the civil systems that are there. Like there's numerous examples, like the Me Too stuff. There are systems in place for you to get justice yeah. already. Like just prove your point or whatever. I mean, I had guys say, absolutely, people I work for, one guy in particular saying just awful things on my voicemail, threatening me like, oh, I know you're there not picking up. What are you afraid of me? Well, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, what? So you can totally, and this was before cell phones. It was an answering machine with a tape. Uh, I'm just saying that you can, there are people were getting huge settlements for stuff like that. And in my experience, it stopped after a big settlement at Baker Botts or whatever it was. Uh, Baker McKenzie, I can't remember. So I'm just saying you have to create that polarizing thing and also neutralize the the civilization. And this is coming down from the top. People like Lakoff, people like these media folks. I mean, it's really, uh, it's it's terribly irresponsible. And really, I would say at a certain point, it's going to get a lot of people killed. Some I mean, like the way anti-Semitism war. and war do. You know what I mean? You get the people to kill each other internally, and then you get at the same time, like if you really look at what happened in Germany, they were killing each other internally, and then, uh, and and at the same time, like I don't know what the connection is between the domestic strife. Maybe it's just a divided population can't defend its own interests. Oh, yeah. Divide and conquers. Yeah. And the Jews were actually very um, I have a a good friend who's a German Jew. And he said at the time uh, the Jews in Germany were were the least marginalized. They were the most German. You know, they were the most uh, loyal to the country, whatever. They could have provided a a united front for Germany. So maybe neutralizing them was uh, was a part of destroying Germany. You know what I mean? So I don't know, but there's definitely a connection between causing problems internally and and leading people into a war that would further destroy the country. Just maybe just taking the eye off the ball or making people bloodthirsty. Another aspect of how they are radicalizing people is that only extreme radical behavior gets rewarded. 
I mentioned this last week, the indivisible groups, if you go out and you lay down on the highway or you go out and you shout down a congressperson at a town hall, you get rewarded in the email system and on the website of these indivisible groups. So that gives incentives. It gives people the, the dopamine release. It, mm-hmm. If you're insecure and you're suddenly you're somebody because you're throwing a rock through somebody's window, it's going to encourage other people to do it. And the stuff that you see on the mainstream media, these extreme – if you want to get noticed, if you want people to pay attention to you and see your face everywhere, then you do or say something extreme and CNN might interview you. So the radical behavior is what gets rewarded. Interesting. Yeah, that's actually that goes to why I don't ever like to talk about terrorist attacks or mass shootings or anything like that. I don't know what's really going on behind the scenes, but if it's real, I don't want to encourage it. There should, if you're ever going to like black something out for national security, it should be all mass casualty events or all lone wolf attacks. Like you should never just pretend it did not happen so that they get no feed positive feedback whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even just at the conversational level, if I'm somebody who wants to go have a dialogue with somebody and we end up having a conversation that's productive, not very dramatic, but it's reasonable and understanding, nobody in the media is going to break the story about it. But if I go in there and I punch somebody in the face that has a MAGA hat on or something, Mm -hmm. and then I start shouting you're a Nazi at them, then that story's going to make the news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the culture, you talked about it with Instagram. This is, you know, we, of course, we always have this in attention. We all want attention and stuff, but with the way that technology works now, we can get attention uh, at a mass level if you do certain things. And when people see this stuff, they know, okay, if I do something crazy, maybe I can get some attention. And the more that this propagates, it has an effect of radicalization on on people who it's not just it might be an act for some people for others the act turns real well plus they're being primed for it right uh the from video games to uh rewritten history in schools yeah yeah to even unemployment and drug use and stuff it'll uh, i mean it, this is not a society that's being trained to be civically responsible or level-headed yeah, we're all crazy. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I drink water with fluoride in it, and who knows if aluminum particles are raining down yeah. on my head, but I can think, so yeah. it's possible. It's, of course it's possible. That's why we but just we have to continue through off. Uh, you know, it cycles through history, even though technology's never been like this, but it's, it's been cycles through history that have been similar. It's a matter of continuing to, to fight for reason, like uh, to fight for, you know, what would Spock do? <laughs> I love that. That'll be what would Spock do? WWSD. I'm there. That'll be my new mantra. On that. Let's right. leave on that note. That's All our right. new mantra. What would Spock do? WWSD. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody who has donated to the show. And if you want to donate, you want to help us out in any way, go to PropagandaReportDaily.com. Click on the PayPal icon or the Patreon icon. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Click on the little Apple to subscribe. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Monica. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Binkley. Later.